0: You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Get your Bible open to the book of Jonah. If you are new, what you are here uh, about to be a part of is the final message of a seven-part series. And so I'm going to assume you're all new. I'm going to give you a little review, okay? There's this guy named Jonah. And uh, he was called of God to go to Nineveh. He didn't like Nineveh as much as God liked Nineveh. And so instead of running to God, he ran from God. He caught a boat down to Tarshish. He found himself in the boat in the middle of a storm in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And the sailors decided to cast Jonah overboard. God sent a big fish to save Jonah. In the middle of the belly of that big fish, Jonah finally wakes up and says, I think I'll go to Nineveh. And so the fish vomits him back up toward Nineveh. And he goes to Nineveh. He preaches an eight-word sermon. No eight-word sermon ever at Harvest Bible Chapel, but uh, he preached an eight-word sermon, and the entire city repented of sin, turned to God, and fell on their face, crying out that God is the true God. You would think that would make a guy happy. Not a happy guy. And so we pick up the story in Jonah chapter 4, and we find that God uh, is trying to help Jonah understand his great love, and Jonah is not quite learning his lesson. Jonah reminds me of a football coach I had. I played football all the way through um, high school. How many of you played football? And um, yeah, against your mother's wishes, after they saw the movie Concussion. And um, anyway, I saw that last night. It made an indelible mark. I'm I'm not going to play football anymore. <laughs> as much as the NFL is calling. And um, anyway, I remember in 1984, I had this football coach. We were a terrible football team, and uh, we had this brand new assistant coach. His name was Coach Rideout. And I remember on a bus, a very vivid memory, uh, I had met the Lord and uh, didn't grow up in church, didn't grow up as a Christian, but when I was 15 years old, I went to this church, I heard the gospel, God rocked my world, I gave my heart, my life to Jesus, and I wanted everybody I knew to know him, so I remember coming home from a football game, which we had been beaten miserably in, I found myself on the school bus sitting next to Coach Rideout. It was about a three-hour journey back to our town, and uh, so I had about a three-hour conversation with Coach Rideout. Now, there there was something that, that was true of Coach Rideout. He was always mad at me, and he was always mad at every other player on the team. Probably rightfully so. We were really bad. And uh, so he was trying to coach us up and trying to motivate us to get better. But I just remember he was always kind of mad. And I remember in the conversation, I I, I tried to talk to him about the Lord. And I was telling him my testimony and how God had changed my life. And and I told him about how Jesus had come to save sinners like me. And and I presented the gospel to him as a 16-year-old on that school bus. And I'll never forget when I asked him if he'd like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. Here was his answer. I'm mad at God. I didn't have a theological category for that, and I really didn't know how to counsel him through that, so that just kind of shut down the conversation. I don't know what went wrong in Coach Rideout's life. I don't know if he'd had a divorce. I don't know if he had an abusive father. I don't know if he just had a bad experience in church. Apparently, he believed in God. He just didn't like him very much. And I have found that that is a roadblock to so many people. That was certainly Jonah's roadblock. Would you like to see Jonah's condition here? Let's begin reading here in in Jonah chapter 4. I'm just going to read the whole last chapter. It's 11 verses. Can you handle it? Here we go. Jonah 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? In other words, how's that going for you? Is that working out all right? Are you enjoying life at this point? Another way to say that is, do you have any right to be mad at God? Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade for his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Notice verse 1, he's exceedingly angry. Verse 6, he's exceedingly glad. A little bit of a roller coaster. He's on. Maybe bipolar in some sense. We don't know what's going on. Verse 7, And when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant. "...so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, it is better for me." He's always thinking about what's better for him. That's a problem. "...it is better for me to die than to live." Verse 9, God said to Jonah, "...do you do well to be angry for the plant?" And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die." Verse 10, the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Verse 11, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. You know, if you've ever served in ministry, and I see some pastors here today, if I see some small group leaders here, I see some people that serve in ministry by teaching and leading our children, if you small group leaders, all kinds of different people that have served in ministry, you know at some sense, at some level what Jonah was feeling here. And yet, it really makes absolutely no sense, To get mad at God. Typically, if you're in ministry, you get mad when people don't respond to the message of the gospel. Why can't these people get it through their thick skulls how much God loves them? Stupid people. You know, it's like ministers are a little schizophrenic too, but uh, uh, typically we get mad when people don't respond. What's weird about Jonah is he got mad when they did respond. There were three people in the Old Testament that we learn got mad and, and got even mad enough to die. Moses was a great leader, and yet he found himself so many times so frustrated with the people that he was trying to lead that he said, God, just take me home now. Just cut my life short. I'm done. I don't want to lead these people anymore. If you've ever served in ministry at some sense, you've felt that, usually on Monday morning. Um, There's another guy in the Old Testament. His name was Elijah. Do you remember Elijah? Elijah was a great preacher, a great prophet, and he was probably known best for his boldness. And one day, he preached and prayed, and God came and consumed a sacrifice, and and it, it, it got the attention of all the pagan, idolatrous people in that area. And yet, the very next day, He's sitting there sucking his thumb mad enough to die. And then we come to this guy named Jonah. And we just read his story. What is this condition? I've kind of coined a term here. It's not going to be found in any medical journal or anything. and, And, you know, I have no authority to coin terms. But I would call what these guys were going through spiritual depression. Spiritual depression. Now, Depression is not a biblical word, okay? You're not going to find the word depression in the Bible. You will find the word despair, and so that's a better label. Depression is something that psychologists and psychiatrists have come up with to try to label categories of human behavior without calling something sin, okay? So, listen, thank God for Christian psychologists and psychiatrists, but we need to understand something. If you are trying to deal with a spiritual problem using medical solutions, you are not going to get to the root of the problem. Okay. The very word psychology, psyche, comes from the word soul. So, in a sense, there's a study of the soul. We should study the soul. Around here, we talk a lot about biblical soul Care, We're not just interested in you showing up on Sunday and hearing a message and kind of going out of here encouraged and charged up. We want to care for your soul and get down under the surface of why you're acting the way you're acting. And we behave ways because we think ways. And when we don't think right, we don't do right. And so if we have wrong thoughts about God, if we have wrong thoughts about ourselves, if we have wrong thoughts about this world, do you know what we're going to become? We're going to become spiritually depressed. There are some causes for spiritual depression, as I just thought of some of these. First of all, it could just be a physical depletion Physical depletion. I remember I went to a doctor about three years ago. How many of you were around at Harvest three years ago? Okay. It it was a stressful place. We were way understaffed. We were facing issues with uh, tensions on the staff. And and we we needed new leaders. To be honest with you, planting a church has got to be one of the hardest things that anybody could ever do. You have to be a little psychotic, actually, to even attempt it. Okay. Now, I remember about three years into this thing, I went to the doctor. And... I just kind of, it was an annual checkup, you know, and I kind of explained my situation and I was just like, I'm just kind of exhausted, I'm just kind of, just kind of joyless. And he asked me a few questions about stress and he looked at me and he said, you're clinically depressed. Well, I'm, first of all, you know, you're like a family doctor and I'm not quite sure you're qualified to label me clinically depressed, but, and, and he actually prescribed some meds to me. I took some meds for like two weeks and I was depressed that I was taking anti-depression meds, and so I quit. And and, and you know what I was at that point? I was physically depleted. I wasn't sleeping good, I wasn't eating right, and I wasn't exercising. And that could be the main problem, is just simply a diet and exercise problem. Here's another problem, spiritual defeat. Can we just cut to the chase? So much of our joyless existence is the result of disobeying God. At some level, we have gotten off the tracks and we're pursuing our own passions rather than having him at the center of our lives. And temptation after temptation, failure after failure, and after a while, we actually lose our passion for living. In a sense, that's what was happening to Jonah. Here's another reason, just personal despair. Just for whatever reason, trials and circumstances and family and relationships, maybe through no cause of your own, life's just not going well. You've lost your job. Money is tight. People are mad at you, and you can't figure out why. And it doesn't seem like there's any solution. At some level, all of these things can contribute to a spiritual depression. But here's the thing we want to talk about. Here's the, here was Jonah's problem. You know what it was? He was mad at God. Have you ever been mad at God? When you are mad at God, what you're saying is, I reserve the right to decide for myself how God should treat me. It usually doesn't start out as shaking your fist at God. It usually starts out with something like an ungrateful spirit. You just simply don't acknowledge how good God has been to you. Rather than focusing on what God has done for you, you focus on everything God yet has not yet done for you. And so an ungrateful spirit turns into disappointment with God. I think God should act this way and he doesn't act that way. I think God should do this and he doesn't do that. And you become disappointed at God. And then you begin to express displeasure. Toward God, Do you see what Jonah did there in verse 1? It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry at what God was doing for others. Maybe Jonah was a little jealous that the spiritual renewal and the spiritual revival that God sent to Nineveh is something that he was waiting on God to send to Israel. And this whole episode is something that God was doing to show Jonah what I did for Nineveh, I want to do for Israel. And yet Jonah didn't have a category for God's grace being extended to unworthy, sinful people like the people in Nineveh. You know what spiritual depression ultimately is? It is an internal temper tantrum. It is throwing rocks, kicking your heels, cursing God because you think he should be treating you in a way that he's not. Or he is withholding something that you feel like he should give you. Look at it here in verse 4. And the Lord said to Do you do well to be angry? Do you remember last week when we studied, if you were here, back up in verse 2, the Bible says one of the characteristics of God's grace is that he is slow to anger. And do you remember I told you there's a Hebrew idiom behind that word angry? Do you remember what it was? Nostril burn. Remember that? God's nostrils are slow to burn, even though he has every right, because your sin makes God's nostrils burn. He is slow to anger, and he uses the same word here for Jonah. He asked him the question, Jonah, does it really do all that much good for you to have your nostrils burn? Does it re- do you understand the contrast? I am slow to anger, and you 're so quick to extend anger and violence toward me or to somebody else, But what does God do? God again, tenderly and patiently comes to Jonah, he doesn't rebuke him, he doesn't smash him, what does he do? He just asks him a question. Have you ever noticed how many times in the Bible God asks people questions? Do you remember Adam and Eve? They sinned, they eat the fruit, and they hide behind a bush. And do you remember God's first communication with a man who has sinned was a question? Do you remember what he asked him? Adam, where are you? Now, is that because God couldn't find Adam? Where is that rascal? He was here just a minute ago, and I've lost him somewhere. You know, he's down there on that planet roaming around. Where did he go? Did God know where he was? So why did God ask the question? God didn't ask the question because God didn't know where he was. God asked the question because Adam needed to know where he was the implication was you are not where you're supposed to be and you are not where you once were adam where are you do you remember job job had a hard life job uh, god allowed job to experience some things that that brought difficulty and trial into his life and you know what at one point in the book of job job starts to get a little mad at god Starts to accuse God. And God comes to him and asks him a question. He asks him a series of questions. The first question was this. "Uh, Job, where were you when I created the world? In other words, who do you think you are? To think that somehow you could run the universe better than I could. God loves to ask questions. And God asked Jonah the question. Do you do well to be angry? That's a good question for each of us. I don't know your situation. I don't know your story. But I would ask you this morning, are you mad at God? Are you disappointed with God? Are you displeased with God? Are you struggling with any spiritual depression because somehow you're having an internal temper tantrum that God hasn't done something for you? that you wish he would do. Let me let me just kind of diagnose just roll yourself into the clinical laboratory here and let Pastor Trent check you out, okay? Can we have a little spiritual examination on you? Let me ask you five questions to see if we can determine if you this morning are mad at God. First of all, you might be mad at God if you can't pray or praise. Have you stopped praying because you've prayed prayers for so long that have gone unanswered and you say i'm giving up on god do you have trouble thanking god and exalting god and praising god for who he is and not just what he's done for you is the only time that you sing or lift a voice of gratefulness to god is actually when he gives you what you want Or can you praise him even when he chooses not to? You might be mad at God if you can't pray or praise God. Do you remember Job? When God took away his wealth, took away his family, and took away his health. Do you remember Job's response? The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away, and what was the next word out of his mouth? Praise. Blessed be The name of the Lord. Whether you give or whether you take away, it doesn't change your character. You're a gracious God. You've given me more than I deserve. God, I will praise you in the pain. Here's the second thing. You might be mad at God if you can't stand to be around happy people. Everybody's so happy about what God's doing in their lives and rejoicing in what's happening in their family. Maybe you're around people they have a wonderful marriage and their kids they're halfway behaved and, and, and yours aren't and your marriage didn't and you have a problem being around people that things are going well for them. You know, one of the signs of spiritual maturity is this. If you are able to rejoice in the success of another person, if they get the raise, if they get the promotion, if things are going well for them, But you might be mad at God if you can't stand to be around happy people. Rather, you isolate yourself and you build fences around yourself and you stop going to your small group and you stop coming to church because those people obviously have to be phony and they're faking their happiness because people can't be that happy. Is that your attitude? You might be mad at God. Number three, you might be mad at God if you've stopped serving him. Was there a time in your life when you were really actively serving God? Maybe through your prayers. Maybe through your giving. Maybe through your activity at church. You led a Bible study. You mentored a person. You served in children's ministry. You parked cars. You helped uh, others. You baked meals. You you poured your life out for others. But you stopped doing that. Maybe because somebody didn't thank you or you didn't feel like they appreciated you. And you stopped serving God maybe it's because you're mad at God. And you know what? The whole time you've stopped serving God, you still expect the church to serve you. You bring your kids and drop them off. Well, where are the people this morning? They should be serving. Why haven't you signed up to help serve somebody else? It might be that you're mad at God. Here's the fourth thing. You might be mad at God if you spew anger toward people that you love the most. Isn't it interesting, the people that we love the most, we end up hurting the most? And if you're an angry person, and words come out of your mouth, and you have turned violent, and you kick the cat and punch holes through the sheetrock, it might be that your internal problem is you're not mad at your family. You're actually mad at God. Ultimately, all anger is directed at God. Because God is ultimate and God has all authority. And so ultimately you have to realize if you have an anger problem, you have a problem with God. You might be mad at God, lastly, if you try to numb your pain through substance, stuff, or sex. You're bouncing around from substance to substance trying to find something to numb the pain of your existence. If you're addicted to alcohol, if you drink too much, if you're addicted to pain meds that are way beyond really what you need, then what you're saying is, I, I'm hurting, and I'm looking for a way to comfort myself. That's what Jonah did. Look at verse 5. Jonah went out to the city, went out of the city, and sat to the east of the city. And look at what he did. He made a booth for himself there. Now, I don't know exactly what kind of booth it was. Here he is to the east, but apparently it was really hot. This was Middle Eastern, desert. This was high-temperature area. And and so he made this booth for himself. Do you know that's what man always does when he's hurting? He tries to create man-made substances to ease his pain. And that's so often what happens with religion. Instead of receiving the grace of God, instead of going to God for help, what do we try to do? We try to shelter ourselves. I can handle it. I can build something. I can do something to fix myself. I certainly don't need God's help on this one. That's exactly what Jonah did. He made a booth for himself. He's always trying to make himself more comfortable. He's trying to shelter his pain, shelter himself from pain. And he expended so much energy, trying to help himself because he was so consumed with himself. So let me ask you this. Why do you get mad at God? You know, ultimately, as I've talked to people so many years of of being in church and counseling people and talking to people about how to get close to God, there are basically two roadblocks that people have when they get mad at God. Here's the first one. God withheld something that I wanted. Maybe you're single and God has not yet sent you a spouse. Maybe you're married, and for you, it's been biologically impossible for you to have children. And you wonder, and you pray, and why is God allowing this? Why doesn't God send this to me? God's withholding something that you wanted. Maybe it's a ministry position that you aspired to and you studied and you went to school and you worked hard for it and yet nobody has acknowledged your awesomeness and put you in a leadership role. Maybe it's a job or a position. You know what? It's not only what God withholds sometimes that makes us mad, but secondly, sometimes people get mad at God because God removes something that I loved. There are people that we love, that God takes out of our lives. Maybe a spouse. Maybe you're a widow here this morning. Maybe you've been divorced. Maybe God took a child or a parent or a loved one. Maybe God took a pastor or somebody, a deep friendship that you had. It meant so much to you because it brought so much comfort and so much shelter into your life. And yet God removed something that you love. Basically, there's four categories, a position, a possession, a person, or maybe power. Maybe God didn't allow you to make the money that you feel like you should be making. Maybe God didn't give you the home. Maybe God didn't place you in the area of the country that you wanted to live in, but sent you somewhere else, and you lost the thing that you loved, or God never granted the thing that you loved. Maybe it's power. It's influence. Maybe it's respect that you once had and you've lost respect. Maybe your children haven't given you the respect. Or they used to and for whatever reason they no longer respect you. You've lost respect. You've lost reputation. Maybe you've lost an ability that you once had. Maybe you've gotten older and you've lost mobility. Maybe you've lost some independence. Maybe you've lost your health. And you have a debilitating disease. Maybe you have a terminal disease. So many people will get mad at God when they have a physical condition that God doesn't fix. Yes, we believe in the power of prayer. Yes, we believe God still heals. But when He sovereignly chooses not to, how do you respond? Is it like Job? you give and you take away, blessed be the name of the Lord, or do you respond like Jonah and say, I'm angry enough to die. Just kill me. If you're not going to treat me any better than this, just kill me. You ever have that attitude? A few weeks ago, there was a dear couple in our church that um, lost a child through miscarriage. And... um, our small group surrounded them, and our staff surrounded them, and loved them, and, and prayed for them, and they responded so maturely, understanding that the Lord had taken away something that they looked so forward to loving and caring for a child. And um, I remember they um, they sought counsel. How do you how do you memorialize a, a miscarriage? And, different ways of doing that but this couple decided we just want to have a little simple ceremony kind of out here in the in the church parking lot and invite a few family and friends and they brought balloons and they wanted to do a balloon release just to just to say to the lord god we release this child to you and um There were children there, there were pink balloons and there were blue balloons and each child had a pink and blue balloon. And and there was one child there, very young, about three years old, and the child did not get the significance of what we were doing. The child did not understand this was not a balloon grab, this was a balloon release. So when it came time to release the balloons, this child did not want to release the balloon. As a matter of fact, the balloon ended up popping, And uh, the child was very upset and began to cry, as you would expect a three-year-old to cry when you lose a balloon. And very, you know, child-appropriate behavior. Um, I had a balloon, but mine was pink, and I tried to give the little boy a pink balloon. Not a good formula for a little boy to have a pink balloon. He wanted a blue balloon. And in the middle of this very wonderful, worshipful, mature release of balloons and release of a child, There was a child there who was pitching a fit, which is what you would expect a three-year-old to do. But listen, that's not what you expect a 43-year-old to do. When God is requiring of you to release something that you love, and some of us have tried to grasp and hold on to and accuse God, why are you, and you're mad at God this morning. And it shows there's a level of maturity in the Christian life you have yet to achieve. Can, can I just give you five reasons why it is foolish to be mad at God? We're going to see all of these here in the Scripture. Here's five reasons why it's just stupid to be mad at God. Here's the first thing. I don't know everything God knows. Look at verse 5. When Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed, underline the word appointed here. Because we see the word appointed four different times in the book of Jonah. He appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And Jonah was exceedingly glad. Do you remember the first time we see the word appointed in the book of Jonah? God's God said he appointed a fish. It wasn't an accident that Jonah got swallowed by a will. God sent the fish. I believe he specially made the fish. I believe the dimensions of the fish and the fish's stomach perfectly match the dimensions of Jonah. And God appointed the fish. God appointed this fish to save him. Then we see it here. God appointed a plant to cover him, to shade him. Once again, it is God's nature to shade and to comfort and to cover Jonah, even in the middle of his rebellious behavior. So God appoints the fish to save him. He appoints the plant to cover him. And then notice verse 7. But when the dawn came the next day, God appointed, same word, a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. God appointed the worm To expose Jonah. God took away something that God had previously provided. And God provided it to teach Jonah a lesson. I'm a God who will provide for your every need. And God appointed the worm to teach Jonah a lesson. Your salvation, your comfort is entirely dependent upon my goodness to send things to you. Learn the lesson, Jonah. He says the next thing in verse eight when the sun arose. God appointed, there's the word again, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die and say, it's better for me to die than to live. So he sends the fish to save him. He appoints the plant to cover him. He appoints the the worm to expose him and finally he appoints the wind to scorch him because it is not until Jonah learns the lesson that he will find the comfort that he so desperately needs. I was reading in a commentary about this east wind there in the desert, and this is what one commentator said. It is a constant, extremely hot wind that contains fine particles of dust. It contains constant hot air so full of positive ions that it affects the levels of serotonin and other brain neurotransmitters causing exhaustion depression feelings of unreality and occasionally bizarre behavior you ever been there god is doing things and orchestrating events and circumstances in your life beyond your control that you do not understand to try to get you to a place where you will give up trying to be your own savior If things aren't going well for you, maybe you're running from God, and it's time for you to turn around. Instead of cussing God and shaking a fist in God's face, why don't you understand that the trouble in your life is actually a gracious act of God to turn you around and get you to understand how desperately you need Him? You don't know everything God knows. So quit acting like you are God. If you knew everything God knew, you would not question anything God does. Here's a second reason it's foolish to be mad at God. It exhausts my strength. You're wrestling with God and fighting with God. Verse 8, the end of it says, He was faint that means he was physically exhausted because of his wrestling and his fighting and even in his times of rest he's in his mind trying to figure things out strong faith is trusting in God when nothing makes sense knowing that God is in complete control that is how you avoid spiritual exhausting exhaustion you rest you sleep Have you ever thought about the fact that God has made the human body to go unconscious a third of every day? And while you are unconscious asleep, God is awake and in complete control of the universe. Don't you think that's just kind of God's way of saying, I don't need you at this point, okay? You're just going to be asleep while I run the universe, and yet, if you're if you're unable to sleep, it's because your mind is trying to play God. You've got to come up with the answer. Rather than just trusting, God, I'm going to go to sleep about eight hours. I'm going to trust that you're going to work things out without my help. Can you sleep well? Or are you completely exhausted but can't sleep? It's foolish to be mad at God. Thirdly, because it fuels bitterness. Again, verse 8. He asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. What is that attitude in him that says, I'm better off dead? You know what it is? It's bitterness. Bitterness is harbored hurt. You've been hurt by circumstances. You've been hurt by people. Ultimately, God is in control of both of those things. And yet you are bitter because you are harboring hurt and won't release the hurt. To God. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the Bible tells us three things about bitterness. It says bitterness will always spring up because it's a root problem. The Bible says it's a root of bitterness. It's under the surface. You can't see it. Maybe nobody even knows because you put on a smiley face during the day, but deep inside you are so hurt and so bitter because of the way your life has gone. It's a root, but the Bible says it will always spring up. It will always cause trouble, and it will always defile or pollute many people. That bitterness is eventually going to come to the surface, and it's going to spew on everybody else. And bitterness will rob your joy and your trust of God. It's foolish to be mad at God. It fuels bitterness. Fourthly, it destroys my reason to live. Look at verse 9. God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry enough. I'm angry enough to die. He is talking to the very reason for living and says, I have no reason for living. I would rather die. You ever been there? Have you ever thought, I just don't want to wake up in the morning? I do not want to get out of the bed. I was watching a, a 30 for 30, one of those ESPN sports documentary programs on Bill McCartney. Bill McCartney, former Colorado Buffalo head coach, national championship. Bill McCartney's a wonderful Christian and very unapologetic in his faith. And as the story goes, he tells the story about how God had converted him from an alcoholic when he was in college and and just completely transformed his life and he'd never taken another drink. But about 30 years into his marriage, God convicted him that he had never told his wife that one night while he was drunk, 30 years ago, he had actually slept with another woman and sinned against his wife greatly. 30 years later, God puts that on his heart. He goes to his wife. He reveals that sin. He confesses to her. He seeks her forgiveness. And that sent his wife into the bedroom for a year. And she didn't come out. And you know what the problem was? She was bitter. She lost her reason for living because she. Even though God had forgiven her husband, it took her a year to find forgiveness in her own heart for her husband who had humbled himself enough to say, I'm so sorry for what I've done. And the image of a perfect husband was in her mind destroyed in a moment. And she couldn't release that to God. It destroys your reason for living. And then finally, it's foolish to be mad at God because it feeds self-pity. Look at verse 10. Last two verses... Of this book. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Why should I not pity Nineveh? You know what God's saying to him? Here's the difference between you and me, Jonah you are full of self pity, and I have a heart of pity for helpless people. When you are consumed with yourself and you isolate yourself and you're disappointed with God, all you can think about is yourself. And you begin to make yourself out as a victim and feel like, I deserve better. And you can't have compassion for anybody else but yourself. You can't see needs around you. You don't understand how God wants to use you. The only time in the entire book we see that Jonah is happy is when he was using God. Did you see what it said? The the plant came up and covered him and shaded him, and he was so happy. But when God wanted to use him, he's extremely mad. Do you understand how much God pities you? Do you understand how pitiful you are before God? Do you understand how helpless? The Bible refers here to 120,000 in Nineveh who don't know their right hand from their left. How many of you are still trying to figure that one out, by the way? Right, you're like, ah, I can't remember. Oh, yeah. So anyway, the, what he's saying is there's a bunch of people in this town who are uneducated. They're not real bright. He's probably referring to the children who have yet to figure out how life works. And those 120,000, they are perfect examples of you and me. I have yet to figure out how the universe works. I have yet to figure out the mind of God. And my only hope, my only reason for living is to be a reflection of the glory of God as he loves a pitiful sinner like me. If you're mad at God, you don't see yourself as a pitiful sinner. You think you deserve more than what God's given. It's foolish to be mad at God. Interesting how the story ends. We never find out what happens to Jonah. Did he ever turn around? Did he ever run back to God? We don't know. We don't know what happened to God, but here's the way we're going to close the series, not with what happened to Jonah, but what about you? Are you going to run into the arms of God or are you going to continue to flee and curse and be angry and be a fugitive from God? The story of the entire Bible is the story of these 48 verses in Jonah. Jonah. Man runs from God, God chases him down and extends undeserved grace to people who are bent on running from God. It's the last Sunday of 2015. Maybe you look back over 2015 and you're like, I didn't like 2015. Ready for that one to go away. And if you're not careful, the circumstances in your life that God has allowed, if you don't respond properly are going to keep you from the very thing God wants to do in your life to show His steadfast love, His faithfulness, His grace to you. And so as we conclude, can I just ask you just to bow your head for a minute? Don't check out on me. I want you to do business with God right now. I have no idea the circumstances. Actually, I do know some of your circumstances. I know some of your stories. We could line you up And have you tell stories of circumstances, situations, heartaches, losses? Have you stopped praying? Have you stopped praising in the middle of those hurts? Do you even have a category for a God that would allow you to suffer? to get your attention, to wake you up, to draw you back. And so in this moment, just open up your heart to God and say, Lord, I know you are big enough, wise enough, strong enough, that if you wanted to, you could prevent every hurt. You could prevent every loss. You could grant every wish. You could answer every prayer. And in those moments when you don't, God, would you forgive me for the times that I've accused you, that I've gotten angry at you, that I've expressed a self-will and a self-pity, gotten my mind off, others Lord I want you to use me I don't want to just use you would you tell him that just tell him Lord I am hurting I am lonely I am confused but I don't want to be mad I release that anger to you God, would you get my eyes on people all around me that you want to know about your grace? I want to be slow to anger the way you're slow to anger. Thank you for having anything to do with a sinner like me. I'm so pitiful, and yet I'm so loved. Lord, I pray for my friends here today. Thank you for meeting us in your word. and Lord, I pray that you would raise up in this place, all over our city, people that would have a heart of compassion for those that don't yet know you, don't yet know your grace. Those times when we're hurt and those times when we lose someone or something we love, God, remind us that you have given us far more than we deserve. Even in this moment, God, we release to you your sovereign right to run the universe. Give us grace, along with Job, to say, you give, you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand again.